0: Hi there, I'm John Underhill, and this is the Red Special Guitar Podcast. Hello there, and welcome back, or welcome if you're new, to the Red Special Guitar Podcast. Now I'd just like to say a massive thank you to everyone who has downloaded, listened, liked and supported the podcast so far. When I look at the numbers and I read the feedback, I'm absolutely blown away by how this has gone down. And I really couldn't do it without all of you listening and sending in your suggestions and your support. So thank you very much. In this episode, though, I thought I'd change it up and talk to someone who is a relatively new member to the Red Special Forum. Now although they are a recent addition to the community, this person has clearly been inspired by the story of Brian, Harold and the Red Special for a long time. Not only can you hear the influence in their playing, they've also gone on to build their own guitar, toured the world, created their own albums and got to play with some of the greatest guitar players in our time. Now when they joined the forum, I reached out and much to my surprise, it was a yes. If you ask this person to their face, they describe themselves as an analogue girl in a digital world. Hello, Ariel. how are you?
1: Hi, good. How are you doing?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Uh, Thanks for agreeing to be on the podcast. It's um, it's a special moment for us because you've actually built your own guitar um, inspired by Brian May, which is something that's very interesting to all of us.
1: Well, thank you. I, I mentioned before I didn't know you guys had a podcast, so I'm honored to be on here and and share my experiences I've had with both the guitar and Brian and, and whatever else I can entertain people with.
0: Where are you at the minute? Are you in America or are you in London?
1: So right now I'm in America because of everything to do with COVID. I had to temporarily leave my, my little flat in the UK I've got a little flat just outside of London and it's still there. Just, just waiting for me to come back. But I've had some, some family get sick and just this, it's insanity. It's been a little bit easier to be near family and things, but, uh, temporarily in Florida and then, uh, and then I'll come back to the UK.
0: So not, 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 well, not nice to hear that your family's been sick, but, um, you're safe and well. And are they better now?
1: They're better now. They're, uh, on the road, not not COVID-related, just just uh, I guess normal aging things. So yeah. uh, it's been it's been interesting this this whole time, but everything's okay now. Thanks for asking.
0: Good, and I guess the next question most people want to know: is, Have you got two tone with you, or is is it in the UK?
1: So I have two guitars in particular that never leave my sight, and if they Do I never leave them alone? I, I so that one of them is two tone. So if I go on a really short trip for business or anything like that, I won't bring two tone. So I'll have a friend watch two tone for me and never ever leave it unattended. But if I leave for long periods of time, two tone of course always comes with me. I don't get a seat on the plane or anything, especially if it's international but I always make sure and demand and require that two-tone is with me on the plane. <laughs> Good. It into a lot of different places.
0: And <laughs> um, what, What's the other guitar I have interest that that's up there with two-tone?
1: So I've got a, I've got a Rickenbacker that's a a 12 string from uh, the late eighties. And it's a, it's kind of a special gift that I've gotten from, from someone. I, I can't share the details really, but, uh, I guess it's, it's just something I've, I've had to kind of protect.
0: Yeah, that's understandable. No, interesting is two, not, not just two-tone. but it's, um, <laughs> it's funny how we get connected to these things, especially when you've, you've built them.
1: I always say if, if it weren't for two-tone, I probably wouldn't play guitar at all. So the idea of losing two-tone is, is just a horrific nightmare. I don't know what I would do. I, I genuinely don't
0: it's really interesting how how does it make you feel now then with obviously uh, the um the bmg ariel guitars coming out they're obviously very similar in many ways but they're not two-tone i guess it's very similar for how brian feels around um the original word special and the other copies that he's got
1: sure it's the nice thing about the copies that that he has and i have i think are typically we use them for if you break a string or if you're in another tuning just need a, yep. a change and from talking to pete um many times he always talks about yeah he he never likes any of these and it's it's i mean he likes them but he, he'd prefer to play the red special the whole time but you know he go to drop D or you break a string and it always, it always comes back to them. So I, I'm the same way. I play in different tunings, E flat, drop D, uh, you know, full step, drop. And I, I just always want to get back to two-tone. That said, though, there are a lot of really nice elements of the new Brian May guitar, Ariel, that, uh, that are nicer than my guitar. It's, the guitar is an amateur amateurly made guitar and because of that there are things that make it really difficult to play like just the I don't know if it's the scale length or or what it is just the way we built it it's very hard to bend and with the new guitar I can I can bend all day I, I actually have to rearrange certain songs in my set because at the end of an hour and a half set of me playing two-tone uh, my hands are tired so there are there are a lot of really nice elements of playing the the bmg versus two-tone but it even though some some people have called it a signature it's it's not really because it's elements of his guitar and my guitar that he liked and i liked about his we kind of shared things that we liked in each other's guitars and no, i've i've been playing the prototypes of the bmg guitar for almost three years now it's uh it's still its own thing. I think someone could, could make it their own and, and uh, have it it's be a, something to come up with.
0: Yeah. The, from, from how I see it, it's a unique, unique look at, at the two guitars together and it hopefully will inspire someone to create their own thing. Um, we're all a, a bit guilty in our mm-hmm. land of using the red special and trying to create green songs um, just <laughs> because of the nature of picking it up. And it's a, it's a, it's a I think it's a quantifiable sound. It's, it's not because it's so hard to attain, but you kind of know if you've got the red special and the treble booster and the AC30, you're in the right ballpark. And then trying to record it to sound like Brian did at a specific point in time is a lot, a lot easier than trying to recreate something new, which is what you've done um, in creating your own tone, which is, um, there's a lot of inspiration from lots of different players I see in there. And when I, when I hear in, in your sound, When when you play, is that who who's the biggest? I mean, sort of who are the influences in in your rig and your sound that you've taken from over the years?
1: Well, I think a lot of it is by accident. Uh, I mean, of course, the biggest one is Brian May. He's the reason I picked up a guitar when I was six years old. I saw a video of Queen live at Wembley and. Most people really focus on Freddie, especially when you're that age, but not but I saw Brian and I was like, Who's that guy with the hair and the really cool guitar? Because that's that's what I want to do when I grow up. So I I've always had a connection to him. So he's number one, of course, always. He he even said to me, I think a couple of days ago, he's like, When I listen to you play and I and I look at the I send him little videos of Pro Tools sessions I'm working on, he's like, It reminds me of Makes me feel like I'm looking at me uh, on a, <laughs> like, oh, that's kind of funny. So he, he can even hear the influence he has on me. I think with yeah. no chasing. uh, of course, some harmonies, I think the vibrato, I totally ripped from him. Um, <laughs> there there are a few things that you can distinguish. And then of course, Jeff Beck is a huge one for me. Yep. And I know it is for him as well. He's, he's one of his favorites. Yeah. So Jeff Beck and Eric Johnson is a really big one. And it never was until, um, I guess, about four years ago when I started working with him. And he helped me so much with my tone. I, had, I haven't changed the gear. I just changed how I utilize my gear instead of relying on the pedals. It was more relying on the amp to push and then going through the pedals. And he, he really helped me develop my ear for tone. And I think because of that, even though we don't share the same gear, we, we share a lot of the same expectation, I think, inside of our ears. And he has a love for vintage equipment. And <laughs> so I think that was an accident. But, but definitely people mention that all the time, kind of dark overdrive thing, violin-y thing. And there's Uli John Roth. He was a big influence to me when I was really young. Uh, he's been a, a mentor of mine. And then I think Vince Gill as well. Everybody who I've gotten to work with on yeah. a close level, I've picked up things just out of respect and admiration for the people. And and also their playing and their, their love of the guitar and their and their gear.
0: It, re- it really comes across as well. I mean, we, we can all hear a massive influence of Brian and you playing and Obviously, uh, you're set up with the Trisonic pickups, the switching arrangement, and then you've got like an AC-30 clone, I think, haven't you, and a Krispy Kreme treble booster on your board?
1: You know, I I actually removed the Krispy Kreme treble booster.
0: (laughs) I was going to ask you about that, because it goes back to my early days of trawling the internet for information about what Brian was playing. and It was one of those treble boosters that was being created back in the early 2000s that it's not something you see on a pro musician's pedal board very often. And it, it, it sort of it smacked me in the face with nostalgia when I watched your rig rundown recently.
1: Wow. Yeah, so, yeah. since um, I've shrunk my board in half, but, but you're right. Most people don't even know what those are. They're extremely hard to find. And I found mine, I think it was in the early 2000s, mid, like 2005. Yeah. When, I, when I found that, and it, I did exactly what, what you're saying, is that I just Googled and researched what he was using. And I liked that one at the time because there was a, a knob where you could control uh, you know, the volume or, or gain or whatever, the boost, you could control that with a knob. Uh, and, and when they had the, the other treble boosters, you couldn't do that. So that's why yeah. I picked that one at the time. But since then, I've removed it just because I felt that my particular guitar has enough trouble in it, and it can tend to uh, just sound a little bit too bright. And as far as the amp goes, you're right. I do have a divided by thirteen RSA thirty-one. I yep. I found that I'm on the road most of the time, and I had a, a vintage AC thirty that I was bringing there. I mean, mine's heavy too, but it's a lot heavier and it made me nervous bringing my vintage gear on the road. So I think this is a, a good touring rig. And I have a couple other amps I use as well. I do the Eric Johnson approach where I use a different amp for my different settings. So for clean, I use a, a two rock traditional clean 100 watt. And then I'll switch to Dirty Rhythm, which is that RSA 31. And then my lead tone is my probably my favorite amp among those three is the Blankenship. Fat Boy, which is a 15-inch speaker, very heavy, definitely a more fendery kind of tone, yeah. like a Tweed deluxe kind of thing, or a baseman. Really nice. So I, I do that approach, which is very different from Brian. I, I started off emulating him, and then I think as I started just developing a, a, an ear for what I personally wanted, that was still influenced by him, but could take me in different areas. I started moving. So I have the three amps, but they're never on at the same time, <laughs> no. and uh, yeah. you know, there's no sort of stereo wet-dry-wet wet thing going on, but three amps, nonetheless.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I hear a massive, uh, not massive, but I hear an influence and see an influence from Eric in your setup with the um, AB switching and, and the different lines, so I can see that he's been a, a big part of your, your curated sound. And yeah. your, I would like to say your tone is absolutely fantastic. It's um, one of those things that we're all trying to hunt for is the the brand May sound, but outside of that, trying to find your own tone and its influence that's, that's pleasing is very difficult and you do it very well. And it, it goes very well with your voice as well.
1: Oh, thank you. It's, it's funny. You mentioned that someone said, a friend of mine said a few days ago, your guitar sounds like your voice. Is that what you were going for? I was like, no, but now that you (laughs) see that, that makes total sense right like never yeah. whatever, whatever i guess because i i do both i i used to just play guitar and then as i started focusing more on my songwriting i realized oh well maybe i should sing too so they go together and even when i record now when i record live and i i sing and play at the same time you can't really emulate that when you separate them in in some ways so i guess i guess that's right so you you picked up on that way before me this was like a realization i had last week so (laughs) i guess i was just subconsciously looking for something close to my voice
0: yeah Yeah. i think it's probably one of those natural organic things that um artists tend to to do without necessarily thinking about it but just naturally comes together anyway um but no it's um i look at your pedal board and your sound and think if if only i could sound like that but i can't so.
1: Mm-hmm. i think you can it's <laughs> now i'm looking at my board now i've got let's see three i've got five pedals now i kept i've got the two chains for my lead tone going through the blank and ship a big part of it of the sound so for me i'm i'm super organic in the way that i look at this i guess similar to brian if your guitar sounds great and you plug in anything, that should work well. But if you have a great amp that works in conjunction with your guitar, and there are certain amps, as you know, that really shine with the trisonic pickups, and there are some that really don't. <laughs> so even great amps that people are like, yeah, that's the one. I mean, I played through a Dumble, and maybe this was my own experience, and of course each Dumble is its own thing. And it didn't sound good. It didn't sound good with, two- with two-tone at all. I don't know about the Brian May guitar, but with my guitar, it didn't. So when I plug into the Blankenship, even Roy, who builds the guitars, the guitar amps, he said, wow, there's something really special with that guitar and that amp. When you find that, that's those two things are the most important thing to me. And then for the gain that I get, I push the amp to about five, and that's about where it starts to break up. And then I use the overdrive pedal. I use the J-Rocket Animal, one yeah. from... 10 years ago, the one that you saw in the, in the video, I kept that. I leave that on about 12 o'clock and then I have a delay and that's it for my lead. For anything dirty rhythm, I use the amp only. And then for clean, I use the vintage TC flange chorus. I use the Echorec uh, by Catalan Bread or an actual EP3 Echoplex. And I also have a Hartman compressor and that's it. And the compressor is just for clean. So the uh, clean chain is separate, only going th- to the clean amp, and then vice versa with the with the uh, distortion. So I don't have much. I really rely on the amp and the guitar. So in theory, you could, and of course, the, the fingers and blah, blah blah have tone. Yeah, we all know that. But you can emulate the tone pretty well without sounding yep. like somebody. I think. But I, I sorry, I'm rambling here. Well, the last really good thing is um I don't know if you saw that video of Brian and I playing uh what was it Deck the Halls yeah <laughs> okay so I was plugged in his rig um I had no control over that whatsoever I they Pete plugged me into the AC30 and the treble booster that was it and you can hear how different our guitars sound and we play very similar. We both were kind of switching back and forth between our fingers and a and a pick or you know whatever his sixpence, and uh, you can hear the tonality of the guitar a lot in that video. And they're mic'd the exact same; they're they're completely affected the same way, mixed the same way, and yet you can hear the difference. Which it's interesting. I'd recommend to go look at it. You can YouTube it. It's Brian.
0: No, it's definitely it's- it's a great Sorry. video. I was going to ask you about that, actually. it's. I, d- I did put out a few questions to a few people that I know saying that I was going to be talking to you. Did they have any questions? And it's, can you ask Ariel, did she play through Brian's rig and has Brian played the red special through her rig? And yes. He- <laughs> and what yeah. did you think?
1: Um. I've played through his rig a few times. It's it's uh well it's so it's so loud you can't really be in the same room. <laughs> so I, yeah. I heard it from outside the room and it sounded sounded pretty good. He, the way that his setup is is actually a lot more game than I use, which is kind of funny. So it's nice. It's got it's got a lot of sustain, and then of course I've played his rig at the at the Queen shows behind the yeah, you know, awesome before the show. We were Rocky. Uh, Rocky, of course, and then. Um, when I saw him at or Queen at the at their Vegas uh, uh, event yeah. that they had there, um, Pete let me plug in the Brian's guitar and use the rig right there, and it was the stage was all set up, and then he let me plug in two tone, and it, it sounded pretty similar when you, have, yeah. when you have all the amps going, but but uh, you can really hear the difference in the guitars. I think I think. His is brighter than mine, and there's a different hollowness in, in each of our guitars. His is, of course, chambered, and mine's partially chambered after the fact, just from <laughs> things I've routed out and oh, oops. I mean, about half my guitar is chambered, but it was after I built the guitar. Yeah. So the whole bottom half of the whole bottom wing. Is all chambered and then half the top wing is chambered as well. And it's a neck through, so the middle is not chambered. But um, it's just it's interesting. Just,
0: I mean it so is, and you, you spend hours, we we could spend hours analysing stuff, and it would be really fun to um to do that at some point. But I was gonna go back going back to two tone and and you seeing Queen, so that your first experience was watching Queen Live at Wembley and watching Brian on stage, which I think is actually quite common for a lot of us. Um, And then that was at the age of six, and you went on to um, do music at school at six, I believe, and then got into guitar a bit later on in life.
1: Well, my parents wouldn't let me buy a guitar until I was 10. (laughs) Girls don't play guitar. I'm like, but I want to play guitar. Like, no, just (laughs) for... So I had to to do the classical thing first, learn how to read music, play piano. I I played violin and trumpet as well and was in a choir. And then uh, on my 10th birthday, I got to go pick out a guitar and I bought this, or my dad bought this red Fender knockoff called an Austin. And it was a trans red, just like Brian's guitar. But at the time, I don't think this was, when was this, 2000? I believe so.
0: Do you still uh, have that guitar?
1: It got stolen. I I have in my, in my early teens, someone broke into our house and and took my, my first two guitars. So unfortunately I don't have that guitar anymore. Sad face.
0: Very sad face. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So obviously you've watched Queen at Wembley spurred you on to want to play guitar. Did, did you follow Queen from that point on, listening to it as an inspiration? Obviously, you, you went down the classical route. There's a fair bit of um, influence in Queen from different musical genres, or was it, you saw that, it inspired you, you, put it to bed and then it reawakened later on?
1: It was always there. I think I just didn't know how to utilize the inspiration when I was that young. There, yeah. there wasn't YouTube of course. So everything <laughs> that I learned was either from school or from from just listening. So I didn't really know where to begin other than to just try, I guess, with the basics. So even though I was very much inspired by Queen and, and a lot of music from the same era, I it took me a while to catch up to really know how to do that. I think <laughs> probably a lot of people feel that way. It's even though a lot of what Brian does in, inside Queen, it, it can sound a little bit basic on the surface. Once you start diving deep as far as the harmony choices inside the chord progressions and the tonality and the accuracy of, of bending in the pitch and, and uh, all the small nuances, it ends up getting quite advanced. So even though I was inspired, it took me a long time I'd say six or seven years to really hear the influence that I had, and then of course by that point, two tone was already in existence. So I think, I think uh, to find to to go it back into the influence of Brian in in my own guitar playing, a lot of it had to do with the guitar that that I built, which was inspired by Brian, of course, by having the trisonics and the and the pickup selectors and in and out of phase switches that so, taught me how to play guitar. Really. I've had that guitar longer than I have not now.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, how old is it now? Is it? I think it's in, about 14 years old. Wow.
1: So yeah. I've been playing for 20 years and I've had it for 14 years. So there was only that six year period. I didn't have it.
0: So you, you were six. Um, my maths is probably going to be off here, but mm-hmm. you must've been around 16 when you built it.
1: Yeah, it wasn't finished then. We we finished it tw- when I was almost seventeen, uh, almost eighteen years old. But yeah. it's it, uh, but yeah, we started then. I I kind of wanted to replicate the Brian story, but instead of having the guitar built with my dad, it was a friend of mine. And if you saw the Andertons video, then or uh, then you'll I I talk about this story. And I think I did in the rig rundown too, maybe that the guy who I built it with, named uh, Patrick. He disappeared. So yeah. kind of a funny story behind the whole guitar as well, even though it's not identical mm-hmm. to Brian's.
0: I love stories like that though, where it's um, obviously I love Brian's story, very familiar with it, but when other artists have done something and no, nothing's ever straightforward, it's not, oh, I've gone to the shop and bought this and this is what's inspired me. And the, the best stories are the ones where there's a little bit of something going wrong. And although it's probably terrible at the time and um, very difficult to cope with or deal with, later on, years down the road, you can have a, a look back at that time with a fond memory. And it must have been, I can't imagine how old it would have been when you, that box arrived when you were in London with all the bits of two-tone um, for you to put together.
1: It was crazy. I thought for for anyone who doesn't know the story, basically I was going to a, was called a Sky Academy class. Uli John Roth did these Summer courses for a couple weeks, where he could go and learn from Uli, and he would just teach this master class. And I was 16. I, I actually did it at the Musicians Institute in Hollywood, and there was this guy, and everyone was trying to build the Sky guitar. Uli also has a very unique guitar. A lot of my favorite guitar players do, and he had built kind of a knockoff of it. and And I asked him. I said, "Hey, would you build a guitar for me? I have this idea." And he said, "Yeah, sure." And he wasn't a professional or anything. I mean. The people that I see on the group, the, in the Facebook group, are a lot more advanced than, than this guy was. <laughs> but uh, we managed this guitar, which I hated for the first year, and I thought I would just put it in the closet, and it would just be a story I had. But uh, he, right before we ended the project, he ended up saying, hey, we really have to hurry. We have to hurry. And I was like, why? What's happening? And one day, he disappeared, didn't answer my phone calls, emails got returned, and he moved one literally in one day. I don't know what happened. I don't know where he went. My fans have tried to find him. This was in 2007. My uh, you know had, and ever since then I've tried to find this guy. And some some uh fans that are private investigators, they said, "Hey, well, he moved here to Idaho and and with his parents and then he moved here and then I mean, at the time I think he was in his late 40s, maybe mid 40s." So I don't know if he was just like <laughs> So, I don't know. It's it's very odd. I, I don't know how, <laughs> how he disappeared in this day and age, but he did. So, and then uh, he had the guitar. So I was like, oh, I guess I don't have the guitar anymore. And then, uh, as you just mentioned, I had I had a a box with a bunch of pieces of the guitar, and I no note, and I had to put to, put the rest together myself. And and uh, ever since then, I haven't heard from the guy. So I'm always thinking.
0: Yeah, I wonder if he's um, watching from a distance, proud of him, his efforts back in the day to help him out. With- <laughs> yeah. We have
1: all sorts of theories. Like maybe he's <laughs> like alien guy that, that came and then delivered the guitar as a gift and then left. And then some people, as a joke, just say I made it all up and it was me the whole time, which it wasn't. <laughs> so there are all sorts of conspiracy theories around
0: it. <laughs> it's such an interesting story story though because you know there's no resolution to it either which is um hopefully one day you'll you'll find out what did happen and put it to bed but maybe it's better as a mystery for your fans to to not know and have an air of mystique around it when you were designing two-tone obviously you'd known about brian's guitar and the the pickups and the pickup selector switches and you, you can see that influence in the guitar is that Something that you researched and, and decide I want that element. Obviously, it looks a little bit like a firebird and you've got the different neck profile on the top and different headstock. Did you sit down with a piece of paper and say, I want this element from this? Like, can you talk me through how you, you went about designing it?
1: Sure. So I actually had a Brian May guitar at the time. I was going to the Musician's Institute and every day you can bring one guitar for about eight to 10 hours of classes. And there's all sorts of classes from country, jazz, classical, rock, you get know, all sorts of things as well as theory and all that. And every day I would have this challenge of what guitar am I going to bring that can do everything? And I would be playing gigs and I would just switch back and forth, back and forth to all these different guitars, five guitars that I had because I just, I couldn't get the I couldn't get them all to have what I wanted. So the whole idea was to combine my favorite elements of the guitars that I had already owned and make, make a superior guitar for me personally. So with the Brian May guitar, I had an actual, I think they call it vintage cherry. And, uh, from, from that time period. And it was just a basic model. And, I really liked the pickups, and I like the pickup selectors. But I've actually flipped it upside down to where, if you're, it's so funny the the BMG aerial is Brian's uh, settings on it. So the way that he has it wired, it's that it's wired that way because they didn't want yeah. anyone to relearn it. But I have to relearn it now. So <laughs>
0: I, <laughs> thanks, I, Brian. I, I,
1: Yeah, I know, like, really? He's like, well, you can just rewire it. I'm like, fair enough. So literally, if you take the switching system and you flip it upside down, that's mine. So if I have it horizontal, so if you're looking down at the guitar, the switches to the right are the pickups, and the switches to the left are the in and out of phase, and it's the same way, bridge, middle, uh, neck, starting from uh, top to bottom. So it's just flipped upside down. That's all it is. Uh, So I like that. And I switched it because if your hands already in a if moving in a horizontal direction, I wanted to be able to switch horizontally instead of down yeah. like a and and Brian said he said, "Oh, you did that because the u k when you switch a light switch instead of going up, you go down. I was like, that's exactly right." I didn't think about that, but the, the way the light switches are wired in the u k and Europe versus the u s is is backwards so yeah. It was something interesting, <laughs> he, he noted. Um, then I took, so I liked that, but the neck was way too big for me, as I, I'm sure probably you know some people can relate to. I, I've got, yeah. I'm five foot, so I'm not very large. So I needed something that was more comfortable for me, but um, still had like a classic feel, like it's still a C uh, shape. So I had this, I still have it, this 80s, BC Rich Warlock, which is hilarious, and it's a 25 and a half scale length, and it's it's snakeskin, it's hideous, and it's got a reverse headstock, and I loved the headstock, I love that so much. So it was a bit too pointy, so I but I wanted the reverse headstock, so I stole that from that, and I love the neck profile where it's a soft C, but um, there's no edges like any sort of Gibson or anything on the side. There's no. There's no ledge to put your thumb on. It's a nice soft C where it's not a shredder neck. You can still feel comfortable doing the rhythm, but you still have some room to grab on for, for uh, you know, some some digging into some Hendrix or something and still be able to play fast if you want. So I stole the, the neck scale length and the headstock from that BC Rich, but that had Rosewood fingerboard and I didn't like that. So I had a Gibson Les Paul, Called a Midnight Manhattan. It's this blue guitar that was beautiful, and it had an ebony fingerboard, and I loved that. I loved the ebony fingerboard and the blue color. So I stole that. Then I had a friend who let me borrow his Fender Jag Master. It's a Squire for those who don't know this exists. It's a it's a Jaguar and a Jazzmaster combined into one. It's actually really neat, and they're kind of hard to find. Um, so he had one with a little tiny neck, a maple fingerboard, and then it had a really cool Fender two-point bridge on it. So I stole the bridge from that guitar because I really liked it. I liked where the tone knobs and the volume knobs were located. So um, then, of course, Firebird. I've never owned one, but every time I played one, I didn't like the fact that there were 20... I think there's 21 or 22 frets on there. I don't even know. And I loved the three... The three-piece with the centerpiece raised, I loved that. So I, I liked the idea of it. However, for those who think I ripped it off, I actually didn't. I drew it from by hand, and when and uh, BMG before we did anything, we made sure the design was not in any sort of relation or, or too closely related to the Firebird to avoid any problems. We overlaid it, and they're very, very different. The tail, the horn. Uh, and and they they had to have been because I drew it for, by scratch uh, from scratch and me drawing from scratch is bad because I'm a terrible artist in that way. So um, those guitars created the it created two tone and I stole the 24 frets from the BC Rich as well. So all of those guitars combined created the guitar I have. The coloring was supposed to be orange and it's red and people think it's supposed to be patriotic for. The UK or France or the US. And it's not. It's actually in the sunlight you can see. It's called burnt orange. It is not red. And
0: uh, <laughs> Okay, we'll make happened- a point of reminding everyone that on the forum. Burnt orange. It-
1: burnt orange. And those are just my favorite colors. Why diagonal? I'm not sure. I think I'd never seen anyone do it. And people ask about that triangle picker that I have in the center of the bridge. I don't know. But when I look at it without it, it looks odd. Not everyone's going to agree with me. It has no purpose other than that. I have a, I have a model that I got made years ago that has the, the, pick or, or the triangle built into the guitar instead of a pickguard. And people say it looks better, but it looks weird to me. Brian didn't like it. Sad face. Again, so it got removed. Brian's like, what's that? And Pete's like, what's that? I was like, oh, it's my triangle. They're like, yeah, that's got to go. I'm like, "No, oh, my triangle. So no triangle on the BMG Ariel.
0: Bad times. Is, I think you should, um, you should definitely pitch them to sell a separate triangle for the, the diehard fans to, to order to add to their guitars. I, I think um, people would buy it because it's, you know, and knowing that your switches are the other way around. I mean, if I, if I buy one, I'm going to turn the switches around and I'm going to cut myself a, a triangle and put it on the back. Oh, It's, it, it's got to be right. Yeah,
1: got to do the three-ply triangle. Nothing special about it, and uh, it's nice. That might be a good thing—a little mod to add. And literally, for the for the um, the selector system, you don't even have to rewire it. You can literally just flip it upside down. Flip it around. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. Um, I should do that because you
0: know the Ariel fans out there will, will definitely be doing that. And a hard because I'm sure, like everyone that plays guitar, that is a very proficient player with fantastic tone and good chops and makes fantastic music. There are diehard fans that will be out there trying to recreate what you've got as best they can. And they'll want their guitar to be right. And um, you can then tell Brian that you were right and he was wrong.
1: (laughs) Oh, man, yeah. We've had, I I think I mentioned it in the group a little bit, that we've had some hilarious meetings where um, I'm sure they wouldn't appreciate me disclosing some of it, but we've had arguments, all of us. We had one argument about the type of wood and that I believed that certain wood had more tonal qualities than some other people in the room. And, uh, Brian and I had this conversation he's like, Ariel, I don't know if the wood affects the tone as much as you think. I was like, Brian, you're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> and, uh, you can imagine this conversation. So he's like, all right, turn around. I was like, okay. He picked up two tone. I have, uh, I had a few different variations of it. With I've, I've experimented. I think I have over 10 variations of two-tone with wow. sizes, wow. types of woods, um, everything you can imagine I have altered. Scale length, bridges, necks, uh, set neck, neck through, bolt on, uh, bridges. I said that. Nuts, everything to try to figure out what it is. Finishes, everything. Anyway, he had two of them, one with a mahogany. Body and one with my black limba body. The BMGs are white limba. Same tree, just different part of the tree. But they couldn't source the black part for some reason. I prefer the black right. limba just because you get that nice little black streaks on the back and on the front underneath the trans yep. blue. But uh, but yeah. So he's playing the guitar. He says, "Turn around. I'm going to play guitar, and you need to figure out which one it is."
0: <laughs> Did you get it right?
1: No, I didn't. <laughs> so that's, that's where the issue happened. He, he, he was a little trickster and he, and he played, uh, played two tone twice. And then he right. said, I'm going to play it three times. You have to tell me which one's which. So he played two tone twice. And then he played the other one that had a maple top or no, the mahogany one. I have one with the maple top too. But he played the mahogany one. And he said, Did you hear a difference? And I said, Yes, but I don't know which one was which. And he said, See? And I said, Okay. Maybe in comparison you can hear a difference, but maybe it's not as much as I mean, mahogany and limba are in the same species. They're not that far off as, as you know when we're talking about the trees. But I'm gonna I'm gonna make the spite with you that the way that, that you interact with the guitar is different and the way they play and sustain is different. And he said, All right, let me let me think about that. So he, she starts messing around with it and went back and forth and he said, You're right. So we agreed on that. And <laughs> we, but we've had so many conversations like that where, where uh, you know, he was right a lot of the time.
0: <laughs> and, yeah, <I> uh, guess.
1: <laughs> I'm such a geek. Every aspect of the BMG guitar, every cap, every tone pot from every speck of that guitar, I have geeked out on an A-bead to the full the full extent of what I was capable of doing within the price range. I have expensive taste. Brian wants everything affordable for people. So I did have yeah. some limitations. And um, of course, everyone had to agree on it. But with the limitations that I had, I sat there for hours with my friend Adam. Uh, he's in Southampton. and And we sat and experimented to try to get the very best that we could and uh, and Brian thought I was crazy for that. I was like, the 33 cap is a lot better than the 22. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, huh, I'm just and the 250k pot versus the 500. You can't get the 500s way too much. You got to put the 250 in. Well, we use the 500s with the BMG, uh, you know, special. And I said, no, no, but you can't. So so uh, we've had many many arguments, fun arguments, you know. Or, discussions, yeah. I guess you could say, uh, in that room. And, um, Brian's right a lot of the time. <laughs> compromise me, even though they think I'm insane.
0: So. It sounds to me like you've got a, a, a very big influence from Eric Johnson there in your ears, but, um,
1: Oh yeah. Yes.
0: Where you can, you've been finely tuned to pick out these differences. And, um, it's really interesting. The, the, the comment you made around how it makes you play and feel, that's something we talk about a lot or have talked about a lot on the forum with the the new digital equipment that's coming in versus yeah. having the old analog rig and having an amplifier. And um, my argument is always that having an analog rig, because the interaction of the sound waves hitting the guitar and how that makes you feel is you might play better, perhaps some of us do, than you would do through a digital rig and that then makes you play better or makes the tone come out because you're enjoying it more or because you're feeling that difference so something definitely that a lot of us would probably agree with
1: Absolutely. I've I had no idea that all these what are those what are the oh, this is really sad. What's that new program that they're using? They actually reached out to me about the Brian May thing. What's it called?
0: Amplitude uh,
1: Amplitude. That's right. So they reached out to me about their about their gear recently, actually. They're, they have a, an area in Florida they wanted me to come down to. So I was like, oh, okay. But I had never heard about it until looking at some of the people in the group. I am of the theory that analog is best. <laughs> and it is so impractical at times. It is just unreal. I mean, I've had gigs, just the amp blows up, and you're like, oh, great, what is it? It could be a myriad of things. It could be, usually, I guess it's, it's a tube but, uh, or a valve, but usually uh, it's, it's easy to fix. Sometimes it's not. But as you said, I mean, especially with people who have like Kempers and, and ax effects and those kinds of things, those fractals, I had the first model of a fractal. And this was in 2009, I believe, I, something like that. And it crapped out on me during a gig. Never again was I using that. And I'm sure they've gotten yeah. a lot better since then. I haven't played one since. I was traumatized that I had to not have any distortion at all for the entire gig. <laughs> it was really bad. Um, and uh, yeah, so ever since then, I haven't done that because the likelihood of things going wrong with a digital piece of equipment you can't just fix with your hand. I guess you could have a spare and then you're okay, but they're just not as, in my opinion, my very very humble analog opinion, like old lady opinion. I always prefer the amp. They have these simulators that are supposed to simulate the air coming out from the speaker, and and I think that's crazy. Like if you're gonna drag that around, you may as well drag an amp too. You gotta feel it shaking, and you gotta you gotta know that when you go to that gig, you're gonna have that gig that's like connected to the tube, and every time a train goes by, your amp's gonna sizzle for like 20 seconds. But that's just part of the fun. It's part of the fun to get that feedback and the and the interaction between the amp. That even if you can't sonically hear the difference, as I had in that room with Brian, the moment you pick it up and start playing, and you're in a band setting. That's when you feel the magic and the connection to the piece of gear as well as, as I said, really the connection to, to what, you know, the consistency and, and maybe that's more limited as far as what one amp can do. Hence why I have three, at least three on a stage with me, but at least I know it. I know what it does. I know if I put the mic there, it works and people simulate that, but I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I called myself a. My soul is just an old lady and I just have to do it myself. So to put the mic there, I have to put it in my little place that I like, and I, I don't want to rely relax on the computer to do that.
0: So we can definitely tell that you love analog equipment and that there's a connection, especially with your new album, analog girl in the digital world coming out and you've had um, peace of mind, which is one of the songs from it, released this week for some absolutely fantastic feedback. From lots of wonderful sources, um, how does that feel that you know you've released released that early and it's it's going so well?
1: It feels great. the The album was written and recorded about a year and a half ago, and it got delayed just because of COVID craziness. And well, that's mainly it, really, the past year. So I didn't know, of course, that it would be released during. A time like this, but people have really latched onto it. And I think a lot of people are going analog now because, I mean, of course, to some degree, we really rely on the internet more than ever now. But I think on a, on a personal level, you know, people are really connecting with their vinyl and they have more time so they can do more impractical things like uh, collecting large amounts of vinyl or maybe opening up their tape collection or, or, uh, I have a friend now that's collecting pinball machines. So, nice. so those kinds of things. I think back to what I was saying about the amp, where you can where you can see how something works. The I have this the uh, an original Echo Plex as I mentioned, and it's hilarious because I love to just plug in and see how it works and how the original creation of Echo was sought up with the tape, and I love seeing how it yeah. moves. I'm like, oh, if this breaks, I'm I mean I I know how to fix it but like the sensitivity of it but I can see how it works I can see how the amp works that's so important to me and I think part a big part of my mission as a musician is to try to find what elements of music are classic and timeless why do people keep going back to the beatles and queen and and all that, all that music, particularly from the 60s and 70s. Why? What is it? And I've most of my friends are, are 70 plus because I've just I I geek out. I, I want to learn what they know. I wanna I, I ask all the questions. Was it Was it because they were recording to tape? Was it because they weren't using click tracks? Was it because they didn't necessarily use a tuner and they all tuned to themselves? Was it because they left the imperfections? Was it because they all recorded live in one take? What is it? Is it, and I, from what I've determined, it's not necessarily, if you, okay, if you want to create the sonic character of a vintage piece of equipment, then use a vintage piece of equipment. Use an old mic. I've got this old RCA 44 microphone that from 1932 that you cannot replicate in a box. I don't care, fight me on it. (laughs) I think particularly with microphones, it's really hard to emulate um, much more so than a guitar amp. But-
0: Modern practices in manufacturing have changed, haven't they? And you can certainly tell if you're using a vintage mic to record than a modern equivalent, there's a difference. And whether that's to do with aging over time or um, the materials available at the time, there is a definite difference there.
1: Absolutely. And it's kind of a time warp, like a a capsule that locks the sound. So if you want certain sounds, definitely get a vintage microphone. Vintage amps are great too. If you want like a tiny little champ or tweed, anything like that, those are hard to emulate, but you can come kind of close. And then, but the the way that I have found from my experimenting, which this album was entirely experimental uh, as far as, what I was trying to determine made analog sound. And that's why I recorded half to tape and half digital. And what I found was that you can sound analog by using analog recording techniques. So as I mentioned, there's no click track. We recorded everything in one take, the entire band. We didn't stop and punch in. And if once you hear the album, you'll hear that there are tempo changes, drastic ones at times. And we did all of it live. And I even some of the songs, I would just write and bring it in and have them learn it then and there. We recorded all of it in about four or five days in, in both places combined. So we did one take, which requires a whole lot of musicianship. You can't rely on digital as a crutch. There's no tuning of any vocals or any alterations of anyone's performances. And uh, we used vintage equipment. And I think that, what people from that era were doing was that they didn't have a crutch like we do now, where they're like, "Oh, that was a bad vocal take, but I'll just tune it later," or "Oh, that bass player's not in the groove, so I'll just move it," or "Oh, that kick drum's out, so I'll move it," whatever. Or the guitar tone sucks; let me reamp it. These were not options. So, <laughs> back to back to my theory of learn how to play your instrument and be be wise with it and be educated on all the, I guess, opportunities that you might be placed in front of and also the issues you might face as well and and show up and be competent. (laughs) Learn how to sing if you're going to sing, stop tuning. And uh, try experimenting without a click track because I know that some people do click tracks, particularly for live stuff. They can just take the stems and then use them live. You can always make stems after the fact, but maybe just try experimenting with it, and that way the digital is used as something that is much easier to do and much more affordable. Uh, analog is extremely expensive and time-consuming, with both just purchasing the tape and also when you when you're splicing things, it's so impractical. Digital is easy, simple, but don't use it as a crutch. And uh, that's the whole concept of the album. Is is my Story and my viewpoint of feeling like there are so many amazing musicians and songwriters and artists that I think are so much more capable of than what they're doing because of laziness. We've gotten a bit lazy, and um, and the story of of literally feeling like I was born in the wrong time period, but trying while still remaining hopefully some sort of of my own identity, trying to take the elements that really made people timeless and the, the, the song's classic and uh something that people go back and forth to and probably for hundreds of years hopefully thousands way way beyond the time that we're here and uh keep continue to find what those elements are it's kind of my mission as a as an artist
0: i think you're doing a, cra- a cracking job and you explained it very well there and if uh, the rest of the album is anything like peace of mind then we're in for a real treat when it gets released
1: Thanks, I'll, I'll send it to you. It's funny. <laughs> Thank you. So, someone said to me, oh, I was gonna. I was expecting shredding. It's like, what? when you hear that my favorite guitar player is Brian May, why did you expect shredding?
0: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, People are crazy, aren't they? <laughs> so
1: funny. Yeah. And that, that doesn't make a great guitar player. I think that's what makes Brian so great is that he doesn't do that. He always knows was, what to play for the moment.
0: He's such an under... I mean... He, earlier this year his uh, bohemian rhapsody won the greatest solo of all time and Mm -hmm. i posted it on the forum and people disagree and we you know we i'm talking to an audience that knows queen really well and we study his Mm -hmm. technique his tone his equipment so you know we're probably the the geekiest geeks out there or the biggest anoraks of it but i don't know i still when you listen to it and it's just such a well-fitting piece of music or that solo to the song and know try writing something else and doing it the way he did it and playing it as well as he did it and he just did that over and over and over and over and over again throughout his career with Queen obviously with the other band members and um, pushing him along the way and, and whatnot but his whole story of much like your own building his own guitar with his father using that guitar for most of his career still using it today and inspiring people like yourself to go and make music and become a a proper bona fide recording artist that goes out gigging and touring and creating new music is so inspiring the story and what it's gone on to do. Um, I always like to say thank you to him in the podcast because without him and his dad, none of us would be doing what we're doing right now um, in many ways.
1: Absolutely. And he's so humble when you say that, that kind of stuff he was complimenting my guitar playing and being like, oh, blah, 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 and just saying nice things. I was like, I really appreciate you saying that. It's amazing, but I just want you to know that uh,
0: everything you're complimenting
1: is basically what I stole from you.
0: So, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I guess it's, um, yeah. I mean, how did, was it through We Were Rocky you met him, or is it outside of that? And how did the whole conversation around creating BMG Ariels come about? I don't think we touched on that yet.
1: So I met Brian when I was 17 years old. I was living in LA, going to Musicians Institute. And I've always told people that Brian May is my friend. And they're like, no, he's not your friend. And he wasn't my friend then. I was making this up in my head. I was like, no, we're like soulmates. <laughs> we're just like like friends, soulmate friends. And, and they're like, yeah, you're insane. But I had this whole thing in my head. I was like, yeah, I mean, we, he plays, he plays like, like I feel. I mean, of course we get along. And, uh, so he had just gotten his PhD in astrophysics and he'd written this book, bang, with a bunch of people. And so he was doing a book signing right down the road from where I was living called, uh, at a, at a store called book soup, right on sunset Boulevard. And he remembers it. I don't know how he remembers all that, but, uh, I went, I had a little notification, I had two weeks to prepare mentally, (laughs) and uh, Tito wasn't exactly finished at the time, I think we were still working on it, but I brought my hideous BC Rich, the snakeskin one, really made a statement, and uh, I I had him sign it, I still have it for that reason, I can't get rid of it now, because of the memory that I have, but I showed up, I, I was for sure the youngest person there, and I think one of the only, like, girls. So I show up and I had all these questions and, and um, he was wearing this cute little Hawaiian shirt and and I was like, Brian, I, I think I asked him, I had hand problems at the time. Have you ever, ever had hand problems? No, no, I never had hand problems. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I have a lot of other questions. Do you mind if, if we talk after? And he said, oh, I probably won't have time. I've, I've got to do another interview after this. And I said, okay. So I was getting ready to leave lock out the door. And this guy behind me said, Hey, just hang out a little bit longer and maybe he'll come to you. I don't know. And so I hung out, hung out the store and he did. He came up to me and we started talking about mental health stuff. Like, Oh, he wasn't feeling so good. And I was like, Oh, what's going on? He's like, Oh, I've been a little bit depressed lately about this. And I said, Oh, me too. I, it's something I publicly struggle with a lot. And, uh, we kind of bonded on that he said hey play me a little bit of your guitar so i played a little guitar and he's like oh wow i can't do that he's very humble and uh and I, and we connected he gave me his email address and we started emailing every day i mean every day i was I, I don't know how he put up with me and he was telling me about the stuff he was working with he had we will rock you and after about a year he asked me hey um would you want to audition for we will rock you and i said oh yeah i mean i sent him all these videos of me playing guitar which were hilarious like i put fans on and did the whole thing like he did with fans and my hair and i mean really embarrassing if i if i had access to those videos now i would probably die of embarrassment but um yeah so he's like come on over so i literally i was 18 years old 18 years old at this point and i bought a ticket and i moved to england like a crazy person. I'd never been there alone. That's just what I did. Uh, thinking back at it now, I don't know if I would do it like that, but I did. So I showed up to England and I'm like, all right, here I am. I got a visa to study at school. And uh, so I did some more school and started sitting in uh, with the Wheel Rock, you guys. And I watched them play every every night, almost every night they had a show and it was really cool the, the there are amazing musicians that were part of that and it's it was at the dominion theater and pretty pretty central london and i would i would walk out and you, there was this big statue of freddie mercury with his you know the one where he puts his yeah. fist up in the air and i was like wow i made it it was, so, <laughs> it was very very sweet uh for me to to see that and to feel like i did that and um, So yeah, I started off sitting in and um, I guess being a part of it after many, many months of fearing for my life because the way they have it is they separate the guitar players into two so they can kind of do the panning effect with the solos like bicycle next guitar. So they can pan it left and right, which is very cool live. So they... It's not that we can't play both parts. It's just to create that sonic effect. So yeah. I had to read the sheet music and play it exact and then have Brian say, oh, no, no, it's like this, it's like this. I'm like, oh, okay. And, uh, you know, you make one mistake and the whole audience hears you. They can't see yeah. you, but they hear you. And that's that was terrifying. At least if you're playing a show, you can, you know, live with the band, you can kind of hide it or look at the b- bass player and blame them. But um, you didn't have the luxury with this, so.
0: It's not like I, I, people don't know how it goes either, is it? In, with Queen songs, everyone knows those parts because they're so iconic.
1: Exactly, exactly. Which was terrifying for me uh, at the time to think about, but I had I had a great a great time being a part of that, and and it was definitely the beginning of my of my uh, I guess living in England and and getting to to be a part of the music scene there. I, I had the rude awakening of realizing that quarter notes were called crotchets and capo was capo and cable is a lead and a power cord is called a, a kettle lead and sounds like
0: you know you know your stuff now there ariel yeah, <laughs> you definitely
1: know oh yeah oh yeah Now i always <laughs> use both words just in case people from the uk and the u.s are listening <laughs>
0: <laughs> you obviously then you've, you've got a fantastic relationship with him where do you go next from there and how does that come back around to you bumping into him on or working with him on, on the, the guitar project, uh, which...
1: oh. <laughs> you asked that. Sorry. I got, I got lost. Um, that's all right. So, yes. Yeah, so we've been friends, as I said, since 2007 and, um, most of, most of the time our friendship has had nothing to do with guitar. Really. It's had nothing to do with working together. So most of the times, you know, I meet with him and, and, uh, I kind of grew up with his, with his kids in, in a lot of ways, uh, so we would just hang out and get together and talk about random stuff. And so about three years ago, I was touring the UK um, and we got together. It was just a non-professional uh, or any, anything other than just getting together for lunch. And I had already decided that I was going to make my own model of guitar for people because they kept asking me. I had yeah. no idea that anyone would want. Um, anything related to two-tone at all. Because like I said, this was just a combination of guitars I thought were nice. And my fans kept asking me, hey, h- how do I get one of those? And I was like, well, it's selfish. I'm the only person who has like 10 of these. That's not very nice. So even if only a couple people buy them, I should make them available just so just so there's an option. And so I told Brian I was going to have just a friend of mine and I, we were going to make like one guitar a month or whatever we were capable of doing with just T and I alongside of whatever else we were doing. And that was gonna be it. They were gonna be very expensive, probably like four K and up the dollars. And and uh, and he said, Well who's putting it out? I said, Oh no one, just me. And he said, Well, why doesn't Brian May guitars put it out? And I was like screaming inside, like, Oh my god, oh my god. But it, <laughs> outwardly I was like, Oh, really? Oh, let me think about it, I didn't say that, but I was trying to play so cool, but I was freaking out like wow, so he really liked the idea of doing it and uh and like i said it's it's not a signature it's it's uh both of our ideas together, and he was a big yeah. part of that and uh and so, yeah, it was his idea, and now, three years later, um, we've got this guitar, so that was a story it was him
0: all him none of you all all Brian. All that. <laughs> no definitely a lot of you as well and um i mean i can't wait to see them and play one because i think they look fantastic and one of the you know it's got all the elements of the red special in it with the burns try something pickups and the pickup switching but in a slightly different form factor and One of the things I personally struggle with, which I know a couple of the other guys on the forum do too, is that when you pick up a red special, you want to play Queen songs. And I know it shouldn't be, but it's a very limiting factor. So to have something that's brand new that does all the things that we want it to do and looks pretty cool if you ask me, um, Mm. it's another opportunity to have that same sort of sound and that different look to try and trick the mind into doing something different. Um, And it's made us find you as well, which is absolutely amazing because I hadn't heard of you until Brian posted up three years ago that you guys were working together on this guitar and then sort of followed your story a little bit more with interest. And then obviously as the guitar, you've released another picture and it's taken a fair few years, been able to keep up to date with what you're up to and listening to your different songs and albums coming out. And um, yeah, become an absolute fan now. And never look back so it, it's oh. i've been very very fortunate to be able to talk to you as well because it's um not very often you get to speak to someone who's making music you listen to when you're driving around in the car or um yeah or listening to to chill out at the end of the day
1: well well thanks thank you and i'm i'm glad that that we could connect and uh and that you like it i know some people don't like the burnt orange and blue but, uh, we do have we did make... And and you know what? I'll take full credit for that because the the Brian May team wanted a solid body color for the first one. And I was like, for the first one, if all goes well, we'll do the burnt orange and blue diagonal. And then if all goes well, we do another color of your choosing. So they actually have a prototype of a trans cherry with the Brian May color. Uh, but you can see a nice little grain through it and all one all one color except for the picker and of course like a parchment and uh, it looks nice I fought it I fought it for like a year I didn't like it it was like no I I don't like it and then I decided I liked it so now I like it so yeah that might be an option other colors might be an option for those of you who don't like those colors we just started off with that as a, as a tribute to my guitar but sure. uh, for those that that like I'll try to get uh, I think I think uh, house music has that uh, hanging in their in their showroom but uh, we get some pictures of that so people can see it. It, it does look neat just as its own uh, one yeah. solid color. I don't know we can out- do all sorts of things hopefully in the future if, if people like it but I'm very honored to be here talking with you. Thank you for having me.
0: No worries at all. Thank you very much for your time. I just had one final question and then I know you're very busy and you've afforded me a lot more time than we had agreed in advance, so thank you. But um this one was, um, I'm looking at my own children and they watch me play guitar and want to copy me. If you had any advice for young people today trying to get into music and become musicians, what would that be?
1: Well, I am but a measly, humble musician. But if, since you asked, I would say If this is something that you want to do as a hobby or you're not sure if it's something that you want to do, maybe the the way that I connected with the guitar is I didn't get shoved into lessons right away. I really got to connect with the guitar on a very basic level and maybe it halted my progress for a few months and I sounded so terrible and destroyed the lives of many around me by my (laughs) awful playing. But... I got to connect with it to decide whether or not I really wanted to play it. Some kids don't work that way, or people and adults. But um, try connecting with the instrument on your own. See what you like. Try basic things, and um, I would rely less on the internet because there are there's so much information. If if you're going to do Anything on the internet, I wouldn't just scope YouTube and then do how do I play a chord? Buy a book or buy a program, a learning program, or get um, a tutor uh, or a teacher. And when you're ready to do more than what you're capable of on your own, and really um, immerse yourself into the basics. Because if you miss those basics, and many, many, many do, you will not just. Fly over them and then somehow learn them when you're 20 years down the road. You know who I'm talking about, the ones who've been playing for 40 years but don't get any better, which is fine. But learn the basics first because that's what everything Brian is doing is based on, triads, knowing different chord variations and and fingerings, and the understanding of – Melody and harmony in basic theory allows you to understand what they're doing a lot faster than if you do everything by ear. There's a thing like, well, I'll take my vibe away, you know, if I learn any of that. No, it won't. What it'll do is you hear instantly what it is and you can replicate it. That's that's a trick. I, I'm so bad at math and so bad at theory, they had to like create new ways for me to learn. I, I don't know what my problem is. But I still learned it. <laughs> and it's been a benefit. So start basic. And if you're going to learn and get a teacher, stay committed and, and start from the bottom and don't skip to just shredding Brian May songs. Cause I know it's tempting and you can learn the tools to do that. Like you could start with tire mother down or crazy little thing called love, but understand what he's doing before you start shredding, because you'll be like a lot of other guitar players who have these major gaps that won't allow you to grow so i would say that would be uh the first thing to think about if you're starting to play guitar which is the best thing ever
0: definitely interesting you brought tie your mother down up because it's banned at the uk red special meetup each year there's a song not to be played ever sorry <laughs> it's a good <laughs> okay, beginning it's, it's, but it is but it's overplayed so much oh, right, and it's, sure. um,
1: that's hilarious
0: it's also not played very well most of the time.
1: <laughs> it's, it's not, it's deceivingly hard. If, if you really want to get your right hand and left hand coordinated, that's the one to do. Then try singing on top of it. That's, that's an interesting thing to watch. But what, what other songs are banned, if you don't mind me asking?
0: It's just Tie Your Mother Down. It's not oh, really? the only song that's banned. Yeah, oh. it's no Tie Your Mother Down. You'll have to come one year and, uh, and join us and talk about your guitar when, when we're allowed to host it with COVID. There's um one in the UK in Reading every year in October. And then last year around March with the first ever one in Phoenix, Arizona, which was pretty cool.
1: That sounds fun. Does everyone just have a Brian May guitar and they're all just jamming?
0: Well, yeah, so you kind of, you got people from different backgrounds. So you've got those that are really, really great musicians and very proficient players. And then you've got the guys that are buying the, uh, like the bmg guitars and then you've got the guys that you see on the forum that are making their own replicas of brian's guitar and you've got the guys that um attribute artists to brian and anyone else that's interested really and we get people like uh, we've had pete turn up once before and nigel knight who does all, all brian's electronics yeah and if you yeah nigel's a good good chap very knowledgeable um so we have people like that show up and they we do a little talk on something, or people will show something off. So, over the years, we've had the key replica. The real keys arrived one year. The actual people brought the Red Special along. Oh um, wow! Which is pretty amazing. Um, it was a long time ago now, and I was unfortunately not unable to go that year. But um, no, yeah, no. you'd definitely be welcome, and it'd be great to bring if you did. Obviously, two tone doesn't go anywhere without you, mm-hmm. uh, or you don't go anywhere without two tone, whichever way oh, you want to look at it.
1: That way, um, for sure.
0: To, <laughs> to bring it along and one of your new guitars you'd be most welcome um and we'd love to meet you and listen to you play and hear all about your story again in person
1: oh well thanks i'd I'd love to when uh you know hopefully all this stuff settles soon and we can do that because that sounds fun
0: it is you get to geek out on the treble boosters and amps and um a whole host of things and people Go over each other's guitars with a fine tooth comb, and your pickups are point five of a millimeter different to mine, and that must make a difference in sound. Um, It's great fun. Yeah. <laughs> then we'll have a drink afterwards, and uh, go back to a bar and have a meal, which is by far the best bit.
1: I'll just still talking about guitars the whole way. I can imagine.
0: <laughs> Couldn't possibly comment. But yeah, no, it's good fun. It's it's um. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of a lot of rubbish is spoken about guitars and and Queen and Brian May and, and amplifiers and treble boosters and all good stuff. Um, yeah, I think you'd enjoy it from talking to you. You'd love it.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, thanks. I'm excited now.
0: <laughs> I'll send you an invite when uh, we know whether or not it's going, and then you, hopefully, if you're in the UK, you can come along to that one if it works out. Or uh, yeah, if not, I'm. The one in America is brand new last year. And I know Luke, who arranged it, is looking to do another one when when allowed to, and enough people can go.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm there.
0: Ariel, <laughs> oh, thank you so much for talking to me today. Um I, I don't want to overstep talking to you too much, but it's been absolutely fantastic for me and for hopefully everyone listening to have learned a little bit more about you. Hear about how you got into all of this and how you ended up making guitars of Brian May um, and your own story. So, and then you actually, the guitars coming out at the end of March.
1: Yeah. March 28th is when they will officially be available.
0: And your new albums coming out around the same time as well, I think.
1: Well, it's uh it's, it's coming out a month after. So May 7th. So right. the guitar will come out. There's going to be, and until then, of course, uh, the guitar comes out. I'll be having all sorts of different content. I'm actually creating content right now where I'm recording the room all, as well as the mic up to the amp where you can really hear the guitar. And I'm doing a different genre every week. So this week is hard rock. So you can hear the guitar and it's different elements that definitely have uh, remin- rem- it's reminiscent of the special, but it's, it's a, uh, going to be good to be able to share that for people because everyone's asking you know how do i hear it so i'll be i'll be continuing to share stuff even even beyond uh when the guitar comes do
0: we do we we find that on your facebook page or have you got a youtube channel
1: so you can start finding it on the on my facebook page and then brian may guitars i believe is going to start sharing a bunch of that content as well i don't know if they're going to be putting it on their youtube just yet but we'll know soon so i'll be doing little teasers in the meantime Uh, but everything goes through them. So
0: Lovely. So anyone listening who wants to find out more, make sure you, if you don't already, then make sure you follow Arielle on Facebook and then check out all the the news of a very exciting few months. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again. And um, hopefully we'll catch up with you in the not too distant future.
1: Yeah. Oh, you too. Take care, stay warm. And thanks again for having me. And thanks everyone for listening, geeking
0: out. <laughs> now that was Ariel. What a fantastic story! And I just want to say thank you again to you for your time and insight into your, into your world. Now, if you haven't checked it out already, please head over to Ariel's Facebook page and her Instagram, where she posts updates on her new songs, album releases, and the new BMG Ariel guitar. And I've put up full links in the description below for you to go and check her out, find all the information you need to. Now, at this time, I want to remind everyone to make sure that they subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, as this helps get the word out on the podcast and helps it come up in other people's searches. And I'd also like to say a massive thank you to my patrons on Patreon for your continued support in helping me to host the podcast. You guys are absolute legends. Now, that's it for this week, and thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and I'll catch you in the next one.